Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of Ladies Who Punt is brought to you by Inglis. Inglis has had over a century of turf champions go through their sales rings. And now with their pink bonus series, there has never been a better time for women to join in on the fun of racehorse ownership. That's right, Grace. With the bonus prize money up for grabs, the Pink Bonus Series is a great initiative to get more women involved in racing, making Inglis a fabulous partner to ladies who punt. We can't thank them enough for supporting our podcast and the representation of women in the racing media. Field is ready. They're racing in the Oaks. Welcome back to another episode of Ladies Who Punt. We are the podcast that aims to decode the sport of horse racing one topic at a time. I'm Fiona Blair and with me today again is Grace Ramage. Hello, Grace. Hello, Fee, and hello everybody who's listening into another episode of Ladies Who Punt. Well, it's been a busy couple of days, um, hasn't it, Fee, with the Inglis Premier Yearling Sale obviously being conducted successfully out at Oakland's for the past couple of days. And I really hope that everybody who was listening into last week's episode where we had Gemma Cutting decode the topic of sale season and what is a yearling sale, hope everybody learned a lot and then was able to follow along better to all of the action at at the sale over the past few days because um, I feel as though we definitely got to the bottom of what all this business is about and there's still so much to learn in this space as well, Fee. Definitely. It was a great sale. We had a small event with some of the ladies who punt crew on Sunday and that was a great day out where we got to talk to the team at Lindsay Park who we will be racing our deep field filly with Mm -hmm. and then had a little look around the complex, spent some time in the auditorium. But the best part about the day out with the ladies who punt crew was just meeting new people and chatting about the industry and everyone's connection to it, what they're looking for when they are engaging with the racing industry and yeah it was so lovely meeting some new faces and catching up with familiar ones as well it was a great day out I really enjoyed myself it was the first time I've been to the sales in a really long time just because of COVID and everything else going on so I mean I had a ball I was like oh this is great um so yeah can't wait uh to do it all again soon hopefully and the thing is when it comes to the sale season um where we sort of roll on to next is Adelaide next week. There is a Magic Millions Adelaide sale. So you'll be seeing um, lots of horses offered off South Australian farms. That's sort of the South Australian breeders' time to shine in terms of the horses they present to go through the sale ring in the Adelaide sale. And then the other focus is, of course, the big banger of the sales, which is the Australian Easter sale, Inglis, up in Sydney. Only two days worth of selling, so a relatively small catalogue but the best of the best in terms of the families that these yearlings are from. Um, Huge pages, pedigrees, like Gemma Cutting explained, heaps of black type and um, really nice types as well. So that is in the first week of April. So we look forward to that as well. Still so much to learn in the space, which is what we're going to try and continue on with this week fee. 
Yeah, we are going to look at a really specific part of this whole process this week, and that is the yearling preparation. Mm -hmm. So to anyone who's been on Complex sometime this year or is going to go to a sale later this year, uh, yearling preparation plays a huge role in getting these horses ready for sale and looking their best for the auction ring, hopefully helping them get top price of you know what they're worth because i suppose what we're aiming to achieve in decoding this topic fee and you know what we actually heard somebody say it uh, one of the vendors who we spoke to on sunday at our ladies event he said what most people see when they look at racing is the horse that's running at race six at flemington but what we are trying to now educate people on is how much work and what exactly is involved in getting that horse ready for race six at flemington on saturday so we're going back to the beginning literally in terms of our topic today um yielding preparations and the work that's involved in getting a horse ready to go through the sale ring and then start their education as a racehorse with whoever buys them put into a training stable and i am excited to announce that fee you will be our expert we don't need any special guests this week because (laughs) you of course have worked uh, on farms yes doing yearling preparation so you're you're well equipped to answer all of the questions I mean, I'm going to do my best. It's been a while since I've done a yearling preparation, a few years now, actually. But yes, uh, this is how I started out in the industry. I took on a yearling position as a summer job during my uni studies and then loved it so much that I decided to finish my uni studies, but completely ignore them and just just work on a horse farm, much to my parents' delight. I feel like that is the story of so many people that now work in the racing industry. Ignore whatever education you've been given and just go work with horses yeah never mind the huge student loan you've accumulated (laughs) let's go and work on a stud farm out of interest what was your uni degree so I did a bachelor of science in zoology initially Um, obviously that's my love of animals and then I went on to do a master's in science communication specifically natural history of filmmaking sort of you know BBC David Attenborough vibes love that but um I didn't really during my studies I had a small taste of like that industry and didn't really like it it was a little uh, cutthroat so yeah we just stumbled across a summer job and loved it so much loved being outside loved the physical work obviously loved working with the horses that was so special and I was like man this is so much better than sitting in an office editing videos and you know doing all the pre-production of documentary stuff I'd rather just go and play with horses yes definitely <laughs> well for me I did a double degree business arts um, majoring in marketing and public relations. So I'm not really sure how that translates to form analysis, but this is where I am. So. Well, you know, it all it's, it's all swings and roundabouts because somehow I've managed to find myself creating a podcast about Lindsay Park. I now do filming and editing a video. So we've, I think we've both sort of gelled all of our skills together. And that's the beauty of this industry. I think we see, you know, the people the hands-on stud hands and strappers and stuff and this industry can look pretty limiting from the outside in terms of what you can achieve but these are million dollar businesses Mm -hmm. at the end of the day all of the big stables all of the big farms they're million dollar businesses and they need really skilled people to help run them but if you also have a background in horses and also the specialized skills you know in my case filmmaking 
but you have that understanding of the horses, Mm -hmm. you're so much more knowledgeable than someone who just has the filmmaking skills because you already know how the industry works, you know how the animal behaves. And the cool thing is, is that obviously if you've got that horse background, um, you know, you're a natural fit, but there are so many examples of people working in, in the industry that actually just like racing and don't have any horse um, skills in the past, but want to learn more. There are so many roles for those people, just, you know, whether it be office based or whether it be client based or just admin organization, the running of the business, as you say, that then you can learn more about horses as well. So Basically, you just need to know where to start and that can be tricky, but Mm. for people that are interested, um, I would definitely recommend reaching out to anyone that you know in the industry because that's the thing. Once you're in the community, you're in and the community is always there to help. Yeah, for sure. It's a a great industry to be a part of and you're right. Once you're in, it's very hard to get out. Yes, it is. So today specifically, we're going to look at the yearling preparations. So like I said, I took up a stud hand position during my summer holidays, and that's generally when most of the preparations are happening. And I started off in, on a stud farm in New Zealand called Little Avondale Stud, where our, one of our favorite stallions, Perencanto, stands, Grace. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so <laughs> that was really fun. I was there for three yearling seasons and then came over to Australia and worked at Blue Gum Farm and did two yearling preps with them for premiere before making my way to Lindsay Park. So um, I guess all up five major preps with smaller preps in between for weanlings or for, you know, smaller yearling sales. So I guess I have a fair bit of experience in this area. Sophie, let's start at the beginning. What is the purpose of a yearling preparation? What is it? So anyone who has been to a sales or joined us on Sunday When you see the yearlings walking around, they look stunning. They're in great condition. They are looking athletic. They have clean, shiny coats. And that's what yearling preparation is about. It's about getting the horse to the sale in absolute peak condition. Because, you know, something we learned when we talked to Alison in our breeding episode is that so much money and effort and thought goes into breeding these Mm -hmm. horses. And if you're breeding to sell, which is something that some people do, some people breed to then race a horse, but a lot of people breed to then sell at the yearly sales. If you are breeding a horse to sell, you want to make a return on your investment. And, you know, some of these stallion fees are 50 grand plus. Then you've got all the vet bills to get pregnant. Then you've got all the adjustment bills while they're staying on a stud farm, the farrier bills, all sorts of bills going on into these horses. So you need to make a nice return. And to do that, your horse needs to be in the best condition possible Mm -hmm. at the sales because, you know, at the premier sale, there was over 700 horses in the books and that's a lot of horses. So if you're a buyer, you have over 700 horses to choose from to take home and you need to be able to put a line through a lot of those horses. Yearling prep is designed to make sure that people find it hard to put a line through your horses. This looks like a few things. We want the horse looking well-conditioned, and athletic not like a racehorse so racehorses are very tucked up they're very lean they're very fit yearlings we want more just like a like general condition with a little bit of muscle they don't have to look like a racehorse in fact it's better if they don't look like a racehorse we want them a bit fatter a bit more round Mm -hmm. um, and solid and like I said earlier we want them to have a really nice coat the other thing 
that is really important is that they know what's expected of them at the sales. Yeah. And that's all of that parading we see. And if you're a really popular horse, one of the top lots in your draft, you could be out a hundred times a day, walking up and down on tarmac, having to turn really sharply on those small runways, having to stand up, walk, stand up, walk, and not just walk like a dairy cow, walk <laughs> like a walk like a horse with purpose, like you're you're engaged, you're awake, you're ready to be there, you are happy to be there and you're happy to do your job. And it's a big ask of these babies. They're just young horses. So a lot of yearling preparation is based around getting them prepared for the sales environment as well. So basically the what I'm taking out of everything you're saying, for these babies, because they are only one and a few months years old by the time that they get to the yearling sales the a yearling preparation is pretty much like primary school or kindergarten for these horses i mean their whole career is gonna be full of education but this is the first part of education where they learn what their job is on the day of the sale they the whole yearling preparation is all about them presenting themselves in the best light for the potential buyers Definitely. That's it in a nutshell, Grace. And, you know, a yearling preparation can be, you know, around 10 to 12 weeks. So for the premier sale, yearlings are coming in uh, around Christmas time or just after Christmas, depending on how long the stud master wants them in or the yearling manager. And in a yearling prep, we're really dealing with the raw product. So racehorses are very push-button horses. They've been broken in. They've had a lot of education in terms of their racing yearlings when they come in for yearling prep may have been handled a handful of times yeah so they are very bouncy they are a little bit wild they just want to hang out with their friends they want to hang out with their friends they don't want to come into the barn so there's a lot of education that goes into to making them the polished product that they are at the sales um and even at the sales they they obviously get fed up and um have their little moments where they've had enough but it might sound like oh yeah well cool they go and they get their education and they turn up at the sale and they're ready to go but it's quite obvious when you see a horse that hasn't had a proper yearling prep so if you were to compare two horses at a sale or you know just two horses in general one that has been perfectly educated through um, a yearling preparation and another one that hasn't they will be behaving totally differently you know, it's all about the education and about the way that they look and are presented. And it's hard to see when they're all so well presented and behave well. But it's if you were to see two horses that were um, had different upbringings, I suppose, you would really, really be able to tell the difference. Yeah. So a horse that, as before I was saying, some people breed to race and some people breed to sell. And if you compare a horse that's been bred to race at the same age to a horse that's been bred to sell, they'll look very different because a lot more work goes into these bred to sell ones a lot earlier and they look a lot more developed um, at an earlier age. They've got all the polish on them. They're much more like they've had a lot more education than the ones that have been bred to race and spend, you know, that little bit longer out in the paddock. Um, So you're right. It is a big process to get them looking like that. So in the 10 weeks, I'll start at the start for the 10 weeks So in the first week, we bring the horses in from the paddock. So they're out with their mates, probably in groups of six to eight, and they get brought into the stable and they get put in their box and that will be their box for the 10 weeks. We don't move them around because horses are very routine based. Um, The more relaxed you can make them within a routine, the better they're going to do. 
when you start changing things, horses get a bit stressed and they might stop eating, which is one of the worst things that can happen in a yearling prep. You don't want horses going off their food. You want them to have a good appetite. So that's the first thing that happens. Some studs might have scales and a measuring stick, and then we'll take all of their weights and heights, write that down as our baseline. And then the stud master and the yearling manager will inspect the yearlings in the first week. Inspection day is when every yearling is paraded in front of the stud master and the yearling manager, and they take notes on how they're looking, how they're behaving, if there's anything that needs dealing with immediately in terms of are they looking a bit dull, maybe they could be a little bit crook, should we take a blood off them, and also watching how they move. So when bloodstock agents are going around the sales, they're looking at confirmation. That's one of the most important things a bloodstock agent can look at. And basically that's how the horse is put together. So part of their confirmation checks will be checking the correctness of their front legs. We pay particular attention to the front legs. And in their first inspection, the stud master and yelling manager will be looking at these front legs and seeing if there's anything that can be done to trim the hooves in a, in a particular way to help balance these legs out to sort of minimize maybe how much uh, deviation there is in terms of the correctness. So some horses turn out a little bit like, you know, Daffy Duck or Charlie Chaplin and other horses turn in, you know, pigeon toed. And it's a little bit like us going to the podiatrist and getting inner soles. So like my arches collapse in, which makes my knees come together Whereas a podiatrist can give me inner soles and straighten my legs up just with that extra support. So there's ways that farriers can trim hooves to help with the correctness of a horse's front legs, which is really important in yearling sale. We want them to be looking as correct as possible. So they'll be taking notes on all of this. They'll be taking notes on what the horse needs to be fed in order to put on as much condition as they need. And all of these things are obviously tailored to each and every horse because they all come in at different sizes and different ages and at different points in their development. And the other thing that they'll discuss is what exercise the horse should receive. So should they just go on the walker and have some hand walking? Perhaps they could benefit from being in the round yard and having a lunge, having a roller on to help develop their top line, which is the uh, line of muscles along their back. And this is all discussed horse by horse by horse by horse. And if you have a draft of 30 plus horses, it's a long process to get them all inspected, all the notes written down and the plan for that week. And then these inspections happen every week. The stud master and the yelling manager watch the horses parade up and down and they adjust their notes as to how the horse has improved or maybe gone backwards some weeks. And that happens for 10 weeks. At the end of it, we go to the sales and they go through the ring. That is extremely thorough, isn't it? It is, yeah. And it really makes you understand how much goes into each and every horse, which is the whole point of what we are decoding here. It's not just horses turn up at sale and sale day, they get sold. There is just so much that's happening behind the scenes, so much tailored attention to every single yearling uh, on any farm anywhere. And we're talking about thousands of farms, Mm. both in Australia and also in New Zealand. So... What about x-rays fee? Because this is something that um, obviously we've spoken a lot about how a horse can present themselves and how much condition they're carrying physically um, to the eye. But internally, x-rays can be a big thing when it comes to having a buyer be really keen to buy that horse or potentially putting them off buying that horse. Yeah, definitely. X-rays have started to play a massive role in yearling sales in the last you know, 10 years, especially. 
And a lot of it is at vet's discretion. So there's some vets who will not accept any sort of issues or small problems on a horse's x-rays and they will tell the bloodstock agent or the trainer no I wouldn't be touching this one and there's other vets who will be a little bit more forgiving and accepting of certain um, issues and for those vets what that can mean is that you can get a horse that's really well bred for a bit more value because you're willing to forgive things that other people aren't and I think it comes down to the vet's own experience and what they've seen during their career. So if they've been involved with a horse in the past that's had the same issues but was very successful on the track, they can forgive that issue. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas someone might have had a horse that had that issue and there was an injury later on as a result, so they're put off by it. So I think it's based a lot on their own personal experience and, and what they know. But they are very important. So the x-rays are all of their legs. So all four legs, they'll get shots of their feet. It's basically every joint in each of their legs. So there's their feet, there's a joint in their hoof, the fetlock, which is like their ankle, the knee on the front leg, and then behind, again, the hoof, the fetlock, and the hock, which is the knee but on the back leg, Mm -hmm. and then the stifles, which are up high on in the horse's thigh so they're the areas that get x-rayed i think it's like 20 to 30 shots per horse and yeah they're really important so a horse going to the yearling sales will get two sets of x-rays the first lot will be done a month or two before they come in for preparation and they're called their survey x-rays and that is to see if there are any issues that would number one like make it impossible for them to be sold at the sales like no one would be willing to take them on so that might be something like what we call a stifle cyst they can knock horses out of sales so that means you're not wasting your time prepping a horse that is going to be failed on x-rays at the sales anyway and then the second reason is that if there are issues like small chips in a joint or anything like that you can get them removed via surgery before the sale clean up their x-rays and then when it comes to x-ray them for the sales they're all clean If they do have a surgery, that does have to be declared, um, but that's usually not an issue. People don't want to buy a horse with a chip because then, like, a chip in their fetlock, because that means they might have to do the surgery. If you've already done it for them, then they're usually pretty fine with it. And chips in fetlocks, um, they're not uncommon, are they? Throughout a horse's racing career um, and throughout their journey, these things can happen, and it's a pretty easy fix easy fix and very common you know when they are running around sometimes their back legs will smack into their front legs and that's enough to have a little chip off one of their front fetlocks once they're up and running you can manage some chips as well Mm -hmm. with medication that doesn't always mean that they have to have surgery because it doesn't generally cause cause them that much pain no I think it's dependent on like where the chip is and things like that but you can certainly manage a lot of chips it's just more like don't give someone an excuse to put a line through your horse yep. so they can make it to the shortlist. So they have the survey x-rays done and then close to the time where they're going to go on complex, they'll have their second set of x-rays and they'll also have a scope and scopes are also very important at the sales. So the scope is a procedure they do to check out the quality of a horse's airways. So In our episode about gear, we talked about how trainers can apply gear to help horses have a clear airway through running. And the scope is a camera on the end of a tube. It goes up their nose and into their airways, and you can see the opening of their throat. Mm -hmm. 
and what it does is it shoots a little bit of water down the tube which encourages the horse to swallow and when the horse swallows the airway opens up and you can see how it's functioning yeah so you really want a horse that is symmetrical in the airway so if you swallow now have a swallow you'll notice that your airway closes and then opens up so what we want is symmetrical function and we want the airway to open up really nice and wide because that is a sign that they're going to be able to let a lot of air in when they're under pressure what can happen is that horses can become roarers and it means that the airway doesn't fully open up when it's retracting one side of it stays down or doesn't pull up fully and the airway is obstructed slightly so scopes are graded from one to five so three is sort of where things start getting not great and mm-hmm. a four and a five is pretty bad yep. for a throat most vets will be looking for horses to have a scope of, of a one or a two so you get your horses scope during yelling prep because if you have a grade four aurora you're not going to send them to sale your options are to race the horse yourself without surgery or with surgery and that's called a tieback surgery isn't it yeah that's a tieback surgery and you know one of the most famous horses to have tieback surgery would be so you think he won a couple group ones, well, a few group ones as Aurora and mm-hmm. then had the surgery and came back and won a few more, didn't he, Grace? He did. And I think it's really important to mention, Fee, two things. Firstly, how important scopes are not just any yielding preparation, but throughout a horse's racing career as well. Scopes are really important to continue to be able to see how a horse's throat and airways are functioning as they continue to mature and grow and get older. It's also important to check Um, sometimes a horse's airways post-race or post-gallop in case of any potential inflammation that might um, have resulted as a piece of that work or that race that you can then you know go on and care for and manage going forward but also if a horse does have it come back with a bad scope and um, you know maybe they are aurora they still are able to go and happily live out their life functioning as usual it's just the thing about racehorses is that you are relying on their airways to go as fast as they possibly can. So, you know, a, a, a healthy, happy horse can be Aurora for sure. And they can Definitely. go and live out their life as a paddock or as a pony and in the show arena or whatever they want to do. But it's just for maximum performance on the racetrack. These are the little things that can make or break a horse's ability to perform. Fun fact, I've actually been scoped before, Fee. Have you? Yep. <laughs> I went to an ear, nose, and throat doctor, and um, he's like, I'm just going to put this down your nose. I was like, oh, this is a scope. I'm being scoped. He was probably looking at me like, what are you talking about? Uh, Very horsey terminology, but yeah, it uh, couldn't feel it at all. Camera goes down, sees what happens, and then got the the tick of approval that I am not Aurora, so... (laughs) That's good news. Happy about that. (laughs) So, yeah, that's scopes. They, they play also a big part in the sales. Um, a horse, so they get scoped on farm to make sure that it's feasible for them to go to the sales. There's no issues. And then once they're on complex, they'll get scoped again. And this time it'll be recorded for anyone to look at, any of the potential buyers. And then they get scoped again after they've gone through the ring almost immediately. And if they fail that scope after they've been bought in the ring, the sale can be void. The buyer can decide not to take on the horse or they can decide to take on the horse despite its failed scope so they're the two really medical parts of yelling preparation and the sales and yeah they are controversial in the in the fact that you know a lot of the vendors 
don't really appreciate their horses being put under that type of microscope and mm. that their results are left to the discretion of each individual vet as mm-hmm. I said it's all based off the, on the vet's own opinion not really there's no like hard and fast rules it's just what that vet thinks so it can be a bit devastating for vendors if there's some really minor issues but no one wants to take the risk on that horse that's a really interesting one because I actually witnessed this firsthand over the last few days out at the premier sale and this stud master actually owned the yearling so it wasn't as agent for you know a regular joe blow who owns the yearling the stud master actually owned the yearling and she was adamant that her horse was worth fifty thousand dollars but it was passed in the the colt was passed in because there was a slight problem on x-ray so the vets had um, decided that it wasn't worth the risk to buy this horse so the horse was passed in for fifty thousand dollars and she said I am happy about this because I can forgive this x-ray. I know this horse back to front. I've been working so closely with this horse, raising it as a foal. And then, of course, all through, as you've just outlined, um, every day of a yielding preparation, she knows that the colt was extremely smart, intelligent. And yes, there's this tiny little thing on x-ray that put people off, but she is more than happy to take this horse on and race him herself. So, you know, it is one of those things where the people that work with the yearlings know them better than anyone else. And sometimes they put a reserve on the horse um, because they know that that's what they're worth. And if other people disagree, they're not all that disappointed because they're happy to race the horse anyway. Yeah, that's that's definitely how a lot of people feel. You know, they'll put their reserves on and a lot of the time, you know, people will say to, to vendors and owners, well, this is the market price. This is what the market thinks your horse is worth. And they'll say, well, I don't agree. I've got my own market and yeah. I think it's worth this. So yeah. I'm not going to just give it away. Um, and good on it. Hopefully, hopefully that horse proves people wrong because it happens all the time. Horses that, you know, like Nature Strip passed in at the English sale. Mm-hmm. Nature Strip passed mm-hmm. in. Behemoth, a horse I worked with, he was supposed to go to the premier sale. He actually got there and had an injury on one of his back legs during the sale and couldn't go through the ring. Yep. And then and then three months later, he sold for 7000 on the Gold Coast. Yep. Multiple Group 1 winner. People get these things wrong all, all the, the time. time. <laughs> and it is amazing. So that's probably one of the best things about yearling prep is you have to look at it like you're working with future champs. So like yeah. I said, I was very lucky I got to work with Behemoth and he was a very big yearling and I'm quite tall, so I'm probably near six foot. So I can only really lead the big ones around. Otherwise, the little ones, I make them look like, you know, little ponies. So well, not that, allowed to touch them. that's another thing, you That's know? another thing. You have to be sized up to your horse. Yes. So the general rule for that is, is that their wither shouldn't be too low on your shoulder. Yeah. So you sort of want their wither around your shoulder height. So obviously I can... When I was leading, I was only allowed to lead the, the bigger fillies and colts, and he was one of them, and he was such a sweetheart. So, um, And now he's at Living Legends. I need to go visit him, actually. You do need to go visit him. Yeah. Living Legends is just out near Oakland. Is, you should yeah. have dropped in after Sunday. <laughs> and then some of the other ones I've worked with uh, would be Addictive Nature, who is a Savabeel colt. I think he's at stud now. And he was a group two winner. He was very hard to prep. He was a very lively colt, mm-hmm. I'll say. And he actually was the 
Stud's top lot, and I think he still is. So that was a really that was a really big thrill prepping him. Other ones are Sartorial Splendor. Mm-hmm. I was with him at the sales and Express Pass. Yeah. You know, when we were talking to Alison last year, she prepped Exceed and Excel. Like it's Amazing. just crazy. Yeah. Like you just have no idea. I mean, we do know them very well, but we don't know who's going to be the champ. Yeah. You know, and you, they could be in your midst right now. Yeah. It's just so cool. And then you come, you watch them go out and and get on the track and do the job and you're just like wow who would have thought so rewarding so rewarding (laughs) so we've now outlined exactly what a yearling preparation is at the farm um, and everybody that works with them and checks them every day and and takes all of the measurements to make sure that everything is on track Um, what about when we actually get to the complex for a sale so the yearling has been earmarked to go to the melbourne premier sale done the 10 weeks of yearling preparation on the farm once they get to the complex what is involved in that fee? First thing would be settling them into their new environment. Obviously, they're in a totally new space. There's signs, umbrellas, tents everywhere. There's a lot going on. And you can you know, plan for some of this at the farm. Like Most farms will set up little confidence courses towards the end of their prep with umbrellas and, and random things in the way so the horses get used to seeing different things. Um, but the first thing is to settle them in because what you want is for them to settle in quickly so that they're on the feed bin because a horse that is stressed and not eating at sales is not good. So you want them to relax, settle into their new boxes and just have a chill out for the first day. And once they're settled in, the next day is generally when the parades start. And at Inglis this year, Premier, I think the parades were starting from Tuesday Mm -hmm. and they started selling on Sunday and you're parading as well during the sale days. So, you know, it's a week of, of parading and it's a very big week. You're up very early, you're sort of in the stables, you know, racing hours rather than stud hours, you know, and they're at five o'clock, four thirty, five o'clock to walk all of the yearlings, muck them out, feed them, get them set up for the day, groom them so they're nice and clean, give some of them a bath if they need it, um, just so they're ready to go because parades generally will start from 8.30 onwards. So you need to be fully ready and have yourself ready, fed, showered, presentable for the buyers um, by 8.39. And then it's just a case of parading up and down, up and down, up and down with these yearlings. And sometimes it's very tough. You're absolutely slammed and you don't sit down for three hours while all these horses are starting to crack it a little bit and have a go at you and the and the leaders do such a great job you know they have to really nurse these babies through the experience and offer a lot of mothering and sometimes some firm boundaries as to what is acceptable and what is not but they do such a great job looking after these young ones and and coaching them through what is you know the biggest week of their life so far and then you get to sale day and everyone's excited to get to sale day because it's time to for the fun to begin. And going in a sales ring has to be one of my favorite experiences of the industry. So even when I left working on studs, I would take annual leave to work at sales because I just loved it. It's such a thrill going through the ring. You know, if you're with your horse, especially when you're working on the studs, if you're with your favorite horse for the whole prep of the whole draft and you're standing outside the auction ring, you know, I would always get so teary. I'd be like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is the last time. What's he going to sell for? Yeah. I'm going to miss him so much. My best friend, you know, you like yeah. these horses better than some of your co-workers. Yeah. So <laughs> it's very sad that you have to say goodbye. So it's very emotional. And then once you're in the ring and the bidding starts, the adrenaline rush is huge. And, you know, I used to love, you know, being in the ring and people bidding, 
and you would be able to sort of pick where the bids were coming from and say there was a bidder on the left and there was a bidder on the right and if the bid was with the left person you could go and stand the horse up in the ring at the right person for five seconds and they'd go bang and they'd be on them and then you'd do a couple laps and stand up in front of the left person bang and you're just trying to like coax the as much money as you can and I don't know if it had anything to do with what I was doing but it sure felt like it (laughs) so I just love that that sort of bidding war atmosphere and and being the theater of it I guess was just so exhilarating and making sure your horse was in the best you know best order parading really well in the ring and doing everything right was was awesome and then you get a great price and it's it's so cool and I suppose for people that might have just been following along to the results of the sale or you know seeing different yearlings making different prices it's safe to say fee that when it comes to sale day the vendor the stud um, and even if it is that regular Joe Blow that owns the yearling and you know is in the yearling draft of a farm they will have a pretty good guide as to the quality of the yearling how much interest is there from the buying team from the buyers they'll they'll have a pretty rough estimate of how much money they are probably going to make for every yearling won't they definitely so there's apps and programs now where you can track how many parades a horse has every day you can the stud masters and vendors can also look at how many hits the x-rays have had in the repository so that gives you a pretty good idea of who's looking at the horse and also you know if Kara Ma's keen on a horse he's going to come and look at it three or four times if a trainer only looks at a horse once they're not interested they're not interested if they yeah. come back two or three times or if they look at it on sale day you know they're like really looking for a reason not to buy that horse yeah so they're pretty keen. So you can sort of have a judgment of who is on the horse or how many people are on the horse. But with an auction, you need more than one person to like your horse to get the top price. It's it's a battle. You can't just have one person bidding on your horse. So it can be tricky for the horses that um, don't stand out as much or may not be as attractive to buyers. It can be tricky to get someone to to find two people to bid on a Mm -hmm. horse. But yeah, the stud masters generally know who's going to be fine in the sales ring and who's going to need a bit of help and there was one horse that was the clear top lot of the english premier sales she sold for 1.1 million dollars i have to say congratulations to Catherine kent who listens into the podcast so her partner chris runs nora limbs amazing was the manager of nora is the manager of nora limbs so a huge thrill for them chris was in tears after yeah. the hammer foul and it was oh I was in the ring and it was amazing. $1.1 million this filly made. And, you know, obviously she was a cracking type of filly. Beautiful. Beautiful filly by the right stallion, I'm Invincible, who is probably Australia's best stallion. So there was so many ticks, but the difference between her making 600000 and $1.1 million is purely because two big, big buyers wanted her. Yeah, I remember the auctioneer saying at one million and fifty that there was new blood. Yes. So they'd been hanging out to that point yep. and then decided, all right, now it's time to enter the fray. I was like, what? Yep. How are you new blood at yep. over a million? <laughs> yep, and, then, and that's the thing. And then there are other fillies that are, you know, equally as nice, but because maybe it's toward the latter part of the sale, and people have already sort of filled their quota. The buyers have already filled their quota. They've already bought their big filly, so now they don't have any more cash to splash. You know, an equally nice filly might only make 400 because it is all 
auction based you know mm-hmm. like that's the that's the crazy thing about it you can know that this is your reserve because this is what you think the filly is worth based on how many people are interested and based on clean x-rays but the market will determine actually what your filly or colt goes for well grace how did i go i think i've covered most of the main points here what do you think i think you've covered everything exceptionally well fee oh, thank you It's been a really interesting topic, I think, and really relevant to what is happening at the moment because um, sale season just continues to carry on. And the more we can educate people on what is actually going on behind the scenes and not just, oh, this horse made this amount. I don't know what that means. Mm. The more we can explain to people what's going on, the more enjoyment people will be able to take out of it and better follow the journey. Once you scratch the surface, there's so much underneath in this industry and it's great to be able to, you know, talk about it with everyone yep and i have definitely even felt that myself because recently i have purchased a broodmare oh so what this means and it is something a little bit different purely because i want to learn about it and i want to follow the journey and i want to understand each step of the way so i've purchased a broodmare so in the next couple of years you know i'll be thinking about my yearling going through a yearling preparation and then going into the sales complex and then going through the ring well you're gonna have to keep us updated about this grace because this is gonna be an experience that you know you can just give us the odd update which is gonna help us all understand how it'll work definitely and that's purely the reason i'm doing it because i want to understand better and be on you know i want to feel all those things yeah so yeah yeah, can't wait the thrill you've had the thrill of racing now it's time for the thrill of breeding well there's just so much left that's untapped for me fee i need to be a part of everything (laughs) well i think that's enough for today grace i think we've had a nice long chat you and i now we will be focusing still on our yearling series over the coming weeks we're hoping to track down a bloodstock agent to talk us through that side of things so next week we have a massive weekend of racing grace what are some of the races we're going to preview next week well this is the thing so we're going to take a break on our sales series and we're going to focus on what's happening on the racetrack because it is golden slipper day at rose hill it is also all-star mile day at the valley so big big feature races on both of those days in two different states and also amazing support cards so we're going to do a full form preview next week but you're right fee then we're going to gear up again towards the inglis easter sale and we're going to speak to a bloodstock agent which has been a buzzword we've used quite a lot on recent episodes to understand what their job is what the role of a bloodstock agent is how do they fit in in the bloodstock sales landscape and especially because the easter catalog is the best of the best it'll be a really good learning opportunity for us to understand what to look for basically yeah i'm really excited for that i'm looking forward to talking to our special guest on that one but that is it for this week guys we will catch you next week and thank you for listening to ladies who punt Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 